0: Today is a first for me. Uh, I've been preaching the majority of Sundays ever since 1996. I can't think of too many Sundays that I wasn't preaching somewhere in some church somewhere since about 1996. And, but today is going to be a first. And what I mean by that is today marks the first time I have ever preached a sermon out of the book, The Song of Solomon. First time ever. And um, uh, you know, I, I, I think I know why that is, and I think you'll know when we get into this why that is, but I, I exactly know how to preach the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon, also known as the Song of Songs. You might have a translation that calls it the Song of Songs. It's the same thing. It's a book in the Bible, more specifically. It's a book in the Old Testament, and it is one of the most unusual books in the whole Bible. And if you didn't know anything about the Song of Solomon um, before today, and let's say you go home and you pick it up and you read, you just start reading, my guess would be that you would get a couple of chapters into it and you would scratch your head and you would go, What in the world am I reading? Okay, now there's that chance. It takes a little bit of time to absorb and process, but your first stab at it, you might say, what in the world am I reading? Because there is nothing else like it in the entire Bible. Now, the Song of Solomon, let me just tell you briefly what it is. It is a love story. So can you kind of lock that away? It is a love story, but not like the other love stories that we read about in other parts of the Bible, like Ruth and Esther. It's not that kind of a love story. For lack of better um, description, or as I'm trying to explain it to you, um, it's, it's a poem. It could also be the lyrics of a song, Um, You could describe it that way, and I think it is used that way. But this poem, this song, it is uh, it expresses this romantic love between a man and a woman who are in the process of getting married. So it kind of follows their story of, uh, of, of courting and then engagement and getting married and doing life together. It's just this. It's this poetic. It's this song lyric expression of this incredible love story. Now, all of the evidence that we have points to King Solomon as the author of the Song of Solomon. It bears his name. Um, his he is actually the main character in the Song of Solomon. In fact, it refers to him. As the main character, the woman in the story is the bride, it's his girlfriend, it's the bride, and it's this back and forth between the groom and the bride, back and forth throughout the whole thing. The, the title, Song of Songs, it literally means like the finest of all songs. We know in the Bible, like First uh, Kings four thirty-two, it tells us that King Solomon composed over a thousand songs. So we might assume, maybe, that the Song of Songs might very well be like, like the best one he ever wrote. We don't know for sure, but we said maybe it's the best one he ever wrote. But it, it's it's been pulled out from the other thousand or so that he wrote, and it's been given its own own book, and and, and it might just be classified the best one he ever wrote. In poetic detail. Solomon speaks a lot about attraction. In fact, those first couple of chapters you're reading it. I mean, I mean, you can tell the attraction between the two of them is very heavy. They, they meet each other. They're attracted to each other. Um, like I mean, like out of their minds, attracted to each other. This is the language that comes out of the Song of Solomon. It talks about how they fall in love and they're going to get married. And and here you have this poem, this song, right smack in the middle of the Bible. You know, right in the Old Testament, and with great detail, it talks about their engagement. And all the excitement that an engagement brings, it talks about the wedding, and it talks about the wedding night, and it talks about intimacy. Don't trust me, I know I've never preached out of this book before. I didn't know how to do it without blushing, honestly. And even now thinking about what the next couple of Sundays entails, I'm going, Oh Lord, help me get through this without getting too, too, too blushed. Did you know that back in Jesus' day, back when the, back during the early church, that Jewish men who were under the age of 30 were not permitted to read the Song of Solomon? Did you know that? They were not permitted to read it. This is because the Song of Solomon um, refers quite openly to things that um, are very quite, you know, very considered quite private matters. And as a result, the, these Jewish leaders at the time, they, they didn't know what to do with some of the language that they came across in the Song of Solomon. So they said, uh, basically, it's the Word of God. I mean, it, it is God's Word. It's in the Bible. God put it there. But A man still has to be prepared before he reads through the Song of Solomon. And so basically their attitude was, we cannot give this to youngsters. And so if you were under the age of 30, you were a youngster, and you were not allowed to to read this. And if you weren't married, you weren't allowed to read this. It was off limits. So, you know, I think about all of those details, and I'm glad that the Song of Solomon is in the Bible And I'm really glad that it's in there because the Song of Solomon deals with real life things. It deals with real life stuff. If you think about way back in the beginning of the Bible, you can go read it on your own. It talks about how God created marriage and what His intentions were, how God made us male and female. And do you remember what it said? It said, for this reason, a man's going to leave his family, he's going to leave his parents, and he is going to be united with his wife. If you like the King James Version, it's the word cleave to his wife. It just means they're going to come together. And do you remember the exact language that the Bible says? It says the two will become what? One flesh. One. It's, it's pretty specific. I mean, the, the details recorded in the Song of Solomon, it really is a reflection of, of what God created in the very beginning between a husband and a wife. And not only should that be preached in its proper context, but it, I think it should be held really as an example to us here today of, of, of attraction and, and love, um, and marriage, all in its proper boundaries and all in the proper context. And, and it's really an illustration of, of how God designed this whole thing to work. So, we are starting a series today, and the series is called Before Anything Else. Before Anything Else. This is going to be a three part series built around. These eight chapters in the Old Testament, built around this love story that we, we read about, we're going to explore together what the Bible says about attraction, um, the, the limits within it, you know, We're going to talk about marriage, we're going to talk about life together as a married couple, um, all of that within a proper biblical context. That's what the Song of Solomon helps us get to. And it is not an accident that we are spending the final three Sundays in February talking about this very thing. Valentine's Day is on Wednesday, fellas. I'm just giving you a heads up. Don't make a reaction if you're just now waking up to the fact that Valentine's Day is on Wednesday. Just just nod like you already knew, okay? It's just between us. But but it is the, the month in our year where it seems like we're more focused on love, or at least We're a little bit more in tune with the idea of love than other times of the year. So my thought is, during this romantic month, why not, as a church family, why don't we explore together the most romantic book in the entire Bible? Now, before we get into it together tonight, I want you to know that we all come to this from different places, okay? I know that. You know, whether you are dating somebody right now, or you really want to date somebody. Whether you are, are uh, married recently, or considered yourself a seasoned veteran in the marriage department. Or perhaps you see yourself at a place in life where you really just want to mentor and guide people in, in, in holiness when it comes to marriage and relationships. No matter where you find yourself today, I I truly believe that the Song of Solomon has something just for you. There is something. None of us come at this study saying, I've got all this figured out. None of us come at this saying, I've done it perfectly. There's something in here over the next few weeks that's just for you, and you're going to take it away and go, that helps, I promise. What I love about, I think, this the most in the Song of Solomon and something that I hope to do well through with this series, is that the Song of Solomon, it is going to magnify and honor married love. That's what it does. It magnifies and it honors married love. This is a love between a man and a woman who explore together intimacy within the boundaries of marriage not before marriage but within marriage and I believe that it's a reflection of how God wants us to understand these these very big things in our lives like attraction romance and marriage and intimacy all within a proper context now I don't think maybe you agree with this and we're just kind of talking here as we get into the book but maybe you agree with this but I don't think there's ever been a time I know for a fact not in my lifetime anyway that the bible has and, and the world have been on more opposite ends when it comes to the subject matter that we're going to be talking about. Do you agree with that? I mean, way over here you've got the Bible and what it says and the way we try to live. And then, but we live in a, in a world that has a completely different thing. And I'm going to tell you that, that where the Bible is on this stuff and where the world we live in is on this stuff, they're like polar opposites. Would you agree with that? Absolutely polar opposites and it makes it very tough. And I think about, and we'll explore this together, about what the Bible says is the proper path toward, down this road. And so the Bible will speak of things, not just in Song of Solomon, but other places, where it talks about how there's this attraction between two people. And that attraction leads to those two people falling in love. And out of that love they have for each other, they decide to spend the rest of their lives together, and so they get married. And then after their wedding day... Beginning on their wedding night, they begin to explore together privately this this level of intimacy that was only designed for marriage. Now, this is how the Bible takes us down this journey in those steps. So the Bible's way over here. Then you have the world. Well, how does what would you say is the world's um path to to what is it the same what I just described? No, it's not. See, the world would say, and we live in this world, and we know this is no secret, the world would say, yeah, there's attraction. But what does the world say is the next step after attraction? After attraction, let's jump right into intimacy, right? We're gonna go, hey, I like you, you like me, let's, you know, let's be intimate together. And then maybe out of intimacy, if that goes well, then we're like, let's really start to get to know one another. You wanna move in together? And so there's this moving in together, it's this, it's, it's cohabitating, that's another word for it. Maybe if we do that long enough, we might fall so much in love with each other that we would even consider spending the rest of our lives together. And then that might consider marriage somewhere in there, but that's only if it makes sense to us and fits into our, de- our pre-described version of what lifelong commitment means. Now, now there's this path that the Bible describes, and this is the path we're going to see in the Song of Solomon, but this is at complete odds with the world, and this is going to be the struggle. This is going to be the tough part of this series, because because we hear this from the world, but we want to follow this, and there's tension between the two, and it's very difficult. And I also know that our church is full of people who did not follow God's path. They followed a path that looked more like the world. And so there's all kinds of things that come with that, saying, am I really forgiven? Can I really have the kind of relationship the Bible talks about? Even though we didn't approach it the same, we're going to talk about all of those things. And I'm just going to overlay this whole conversation with this one big word. It starts with the letter G, and it says grace. Because when the blood of Jesus covers sins, it covers them all. And when the Bible says you can have a new life in Christ, that's what it really means. So we're going to explore all that together. I think it's the Song of Solomon, what it really does, it helps us all who read it, who will pay attention. It will help us have a good understanding of the proper context and the right kind of boundaries that God wants for a relationship. So no matter if you're single today or you're married or you're divorced or widowed, you're remarried or, you know, or you're happily content with where you are today in the love department. Does that cover everybody? I think there's something in the Song of Solomon for you. So let me encourage you this week that when we're done here, sometime this week, you find a quiet place... And you read the Song of Solomon. And I'm going to tell you up front, it's not going to make sense all the way if it's the first time you read it. So it's going to be helpful to reread it again the next day. And I would say if you're a guy who's under 30, just read it with your accountability partner, okay? I, you know, We'll just follow the Jewish pattern here, all right? Have some accountability when you read this thing. All right, when it comes to relationships, let's jump into this. I think that, that gets a good introduction to where we're going. When we think about relationships, I think there are three very important questions that all of us should ask. It doesn't even matter if you've been married for 50 years. You should still ask these questions. And these questions are this. What do I want? That's the first question. The second question is, what do I need? And the third question is, what does God want? I want to explore these three questions in the context of the Song of Solomon tonight. What do I want? What do I need? And what does God want? So let's start with the first question that I propose. What do I want? Do you guys spend much time thinking about it? What do I want? Whether you've ever asked that question out loud or maybe even just quietly, we have all have in our minds an idea of what we, we want. If you were to go out and, and into the streets of Northwest Arkansas and find a hundred guys and ask them, what do you want in a relationship? I can promise you that the majority of the answers you would get would um, have something to do with these three big things. They'd say, what do I want in a relationship? What do I want in a wife one day? Well, you're going to hear this a lot. I want her to be beautiful. All right? You're going to hear that. I want her to be smart. You're going to hear that. And I want her to be funny. That is the typical stuff that a guy will tell you. I want a wife who is beautiful, smart, and funny. I don't know what your answer would be. I'm just saying this is what I think a guy would would want. But at the heart of the question, do you understand what the answer comes to? The answer speaks to this word attraction. Because attraction begins with what we want. And think about this, what we're attracted to, doesn't that reflect what we want, what, what, what we want out of this relationship, what we want out of anything? That's what attraction is. If you were to look it up in the dictionary, this word attraction, and start to define how we understand it, it is something that attracts or is intended to attract people by appealing to these things, their desires and their tastes. That's what attraction is. It involves very much what, this question, what do I Want. You know, and it's what I am attracted to. And and that's really, you know, when you think about relationships, we're going to see this in Song of Solomon, too. It's like, uh, you know, if you're not attracted to your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your spouse, if there's not attraction there, if that doesn't scratch that of what do I want, then you're probably not going to want to spend the amount of time it's going to take to, to develop this relationship. So attraction is just. A huge piece of the puzzle. Now, for those of you already married, I would ask you, do you remember that first moment of attraction with your spouse? Some of you are like, ooh, that's going back a long way. Do you remember it, though? Because when you read the Song of Solomon, it's going to take you back there. If you can think about it, and you have that in your minds, um, you're gonna connect with the Song of Solomon. I don't want to embarrass my wife at all. She has no idea I'm about to share this, so she might bury her head back there. But I remember really well the moment that I laid eyes on Kirsten, and I knew exactly what I wanted. I was uh, in the I was in the uh, chapel on the campus of Ozark Christian College, and Kirsten walked through the lobby, and I saw her, and I knew at that moment right there, that's what I want. And I, I was so attracted to her, and I'm like, yes, that that is is what I want. And so when you get to that attraction... You know, it involves something different. There's something changes. It's something becomes memorable. I can remember that moment because it's where what I wanted and this attraction all came together. It potentially has those moments of life change that something potentially could radically change in your life because you see what you, you want. Can you catch her that moment? Do you remember that moment of attraction? We see this kind of attraction in the book of Song of Solomon. Do you have it open yet? Have you opened it yet? If you do, could you open a Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, whichever way your your Bible describes it. It's going to be chapter 1, and I want us to look at verse 9 through 11. And I want you to hear in this poetic song language, attraction. This is the man. He says, I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We, make you, we will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. This is the first time in, in the book of Song of Solomon that we hear from the man. And what is he talking about? What, what else? He's talking about how beautiful that this woman is. It's like that moment. I saw you and I'm attracted to you. That's what he's talking about right here. And the image that he used in verse 9 to describe how attracted he was to her is kind of a funny image. We don't; It doesn't hit us like it would hit him. What does he say? He says, you were like a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. And some of you ladies are like, say what? Did he just call her a horse? He sure did. And you say, no man better ever call me a horse. If he's attracted to me, horse better not come out of his mouth. But he calls, he's like, you like a, a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. And, and we find very little romantic language in that. But let me tell you, when you understand why he said that, oh, it might change your opinion on just how romantic this guy actually is. Because back in Solomon's day, there was this common battle tactic. That that what they would do is they would release a, a mare, a female horse, to run out among the the chariot horses of the enemy, which were all men and or men, male horses, and 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 these horses would become so distracted by this female horse that they couldn't pull the chariots anymore. And so what he is saying is like your beauty is so stunning. It's like it's so distracting to me. It's so powerful. I can't focus on anything else. That's what he's saying. Now, isn't that awesome? Now, now you don't feel so bad now, do you? you say, well, I wish my husband would call me a mare among chariot horses. You know? Guys, I'm helping you out here. I'm giving you something. So read it again. He says, I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses horses, she would have known that to mean, oh, I cannot focus on anything else but you because your beauty is so strong. That's pretty powerful. He talks about her cheeks and her jewelry. These are more normal things. He's drawn to it. So this is attraction. That's what we're reading about. and It's what he wanted. And that is a good thing. Now, she had a few things to say to him. Go back a couple verses. She talks first, actually. Go back to verse two. This is what she says to him. Let me... Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. You see why I could, it was hard for me when I was younger to preach this. I was too. It's too. I couldn't do it. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chamber. So it's pretty obvious she wanted him as well. I mean, she's attracted to him. This is not some boring, emotionless relationship. I mean, there's plenty of passion in the Song of Solomon. She wanted him to kiss her. She said that she would rather, you know, have his love than enjoy really good food and drink. And ladies, let's be honest, if you've been married for a while, that's saying something, isn't it? You know, I'd rather have your kisses than 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 you put in to fill in the blank. That was my wife who was laughing the most back there. Did you hear that? And in verse 3, she said he smelled good. So he had put on cologne, and she liked it, and she was drawn to it. But something else that she said I think is even more important here, and it really moves us on to the next question. So the first question is, what do I want? The next question is, what do I need? Okay, What do I need in this relationship? And, and, and she, she, she kind of points this out. She's saying, and you probably didn't catch it, but I'm going to come back and reread it. She's kind of saying that at some point this goes deeper than physical. This goes a little bit deeper than I just want you and and I'm attracted to you. I mean, mean, and really in any relationship, if it doesn't go to the next level, if it doesn't go from from just an attraction to something more meaningful than physical, looking at each other, then then it's doomed to fail. And I think that's what she's alluding to. Go back and look at verse 3. Did you catch what she said? She said, your name is like perfume poured out. This actually is a little bit different than physical attraction. She's attracted to something deeper here. She's attracted to his name. She's referring to, to a deeper level of attraction, if you will. There's there, there's more depth than just the way he looks. She's, she's referring to his reputation. This is probably a reference to character. Um, this is probably a, a reference to more the whole person, this, who he really is as a complete man. And, and she makes this connection as well. Did you see it? She says, No wonder the young women love you. See, so there must have been other women in the city. We're talking about King Solomon here. I mean, he has a great name, his family, and at this point in his life, But she said, no wonder all the other women in the city are physically drawn to you. Everybody loves you because of your name. She was attracted to something more than the way he looks. And this is probably a good place for us to just stop for just a moment and pause, take a time out, and really think about a couple things as it relates to us. All of us, like I've tried to mention, we come at this, this book of the Bible from different places. Some of us are single, some of us are married. We are either in this or have been through this, and now we maybe just want to guide others, but what do we say? (coughs) Somewhere, I think we need to say to ourselves, or we need to help somebody, journey from what do I want to what do I need. And that's not always as obvious as it appears. And this is something I think maybe some of us who are older and wiser Christians who have been married for a number of years and maybe we can mentor some younger couples coming up. There is an important part that goes from what do I want to what do I need because it's not always obvious. But in this song, this, this girlfriend who is to be a bride, she seems to know that there's something deeper in this relationship. She needs something more than just physical attraction. She needs somebody of great character, someone with a great reputation, someone with impeccable morals. And I'll tell you, wow. I mean, if you can, in, in, in any relationship, go, I need something, I need something about this person much more than what I see on the outside if this is going to work. That's what she's saying. I think it's easy in the midst of a relationship to be infatuated, especially with younger couples. It's like, oh, well, he or she's the most wonderful thing that's ever happened. Sooner or later, the relationship is going to have to move to deeper, deeper levels. And I'll tell you, if you can help a younger couple understand that, you're doing them a great service. Kyle Eidelman is a friend. He's also an author of a book many of you have read called Not a Fan. And he said this about relationship. I love what he said. He said, what you need is someone of character, someone you can trust, someone who treats you with respect, someone who will follow Jesus with you. At some point, you have to ask the question, what am I truly attracted to? Is it superficial or is there substance there? Will this person help me know God more fully? But well, I'll tell you, if you could help a couple um, look at each other and say, are you both going to help each other follow the Lord more fully, then you might actually have something here. And, and I love the way he puts that. And that leads us to the third question. Okay, So we said, what do I want? What do I need? Okay, And I think the third question is, what does God want out of any relationship, whether it's just beginning or been together for years and years? For some reason, and I don't know why this is, but I actually probably do know. We all know. But this question, "What does God want?" often inside of a relationship gets kicked off to the side. It does. What does God want out of this relationship? We we tend to not focus on it. We tend to just come back to that question: What does God want here? When boundaries get crossed, consequences start to take effect or the relationship gets so far out of whack, we have to stop and say, what does God want here? I love what the woman said in chapter 3, verse 5. She said this, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. It's just poetic language. Here's the heart of what I want you to see. Do not arouse or awaken love. Until it so desires. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. She's already been talking about how much she loves this man, how attracted she is to him, and how she longed to be with him, but she could also see some wisdom here. She's not, she's a smart girl. That once this process has begun, this road that they're walking down together, it has a natural course that it's going to run. And if you let that get started, it can easily run right out of control. And that's exactly why she's like, hold on, let's not get going too fast here. Let's not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. She says this two more times in, in the Song of Solomon. She's talking about temptation. She's talking about something that every Christian couple will face. Temptation. This is temptation. Really, the bigger picture is to ignore what God wants. And even though this attraction has been, has been aroused, it still involves restraint and patience. And, and just quite bluntly put, if I could just say it, I can't say it more clearly. Intimacy needs to be saved for marriage. That, that's what this is leading to. Intimacy must be saved for marriage. This is one of God's commands that is not always easy to follow. And it's not always fun to obey. And it's not something that the world encourages by any means. But at some point in this journey, we have to involve God and ask that question, what does God want in this relationship? And I think that this is probably one of the greatest things that any mature couple, mature Christian couple can help a young couple see. What does God want? Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Like I said, you're going to see this all throughout this series. The Bible and the world are at odds. Do you remember last week when I was talking about the ladder? You know, we were talking about the steps. You guys hear for that? And we talk about step one is faith. Step two is growing knowledge. And once you grow in knowledge, you get to step three, which is commitment. This is that part that if you have a couple who has reached that level of commitment, of like honoring God, this becomes a fairly easy thing to navigate because their priority is God. Their priority is serving Him. We are all out for Him, and this relationship is going to honor Him. But Christian couples who are going from faith and growing in knowledge, this is a struggle because they haven't quite reached that point of commitment where, you know, Paul says it is God's will that you be sanctified, that you avoid sexual immorality. They're growing to, to, to this worthy life and, and they sometimes get derailed. It's one of the reasons why a lot of times Christians hang out around step one and step two, if you guys recall the language from last week. So there's three questions. What do I want? What do I need? What does God want? Our best hope for success even in our very mature marriages can happen when we reverse the order of those questions. And that's what I want to encourage you to do today. Let's reverse the order of those questions. Let's not start with, what do I want? Let's start with, what does God want? Now, I want you to start thinking through your relationship, your context, wherever you find yourself coming at the Song of Solomon. Let's start with the third question and make it the first one. What does God want? Let's determine that first. And then let's move to, what do I need? And then let those two questions filter down. A knowledge of what I really want. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? What does God really want? What do I really need? And then what do I really want? I believe that that order of questions sets the stage for everything else. Now just think of Solomon himself. Do you remember his story? Just think if he himself would have followed that progression of questions throughout his entire life. Here you have Solomon. He's the son of the greatest king who Israel ever had. He's King David's son. And, and he asked God, God said, you can have anything you want, Solomon. Do you remember what he asked for? He asked for wisdom. And God was so impressed by this, he gave him even more than he asked for. He was incredibly wise. Um, you know, he had like God's wisdom at his very disposal. And it was with God's wisdom that he wrote the majority of the book of Proverbs. This came from him. And and we see in the early parts of his life, he did put God first. He was concerned about what God wanted, and it produced great wealth, and, and the nation was, was doing fantastic, and it was successful. But the sad part about Solomon's story, as you read throughout his whole life, there was a point that the tide began to turn. And he started putting the question, what do I want first? And he started looking at what does God want last. It probably wasn't even in the equation. And we see this turn in his life as he runs after these physical desires and these cultural things. And, and it really spells disaster for him personally and disaster for Israel. Here's where I'm going with this and we're going to wrap up. When Jesus is the King of your life, it doesn't mean that you get to call all the shots and then at some point later, check in with God and make sure that He's still taking care of you. That's, that's not how it works. That's when you have the question, what do I want first in front of everything? But when Jesus is the King of your life, it means that you're allowing Him to call the shots in everything, including our relationships. So we do need to be careful And we need to to take to heart this, this bride's advice. Do not arouse or awaken love until the right time. God needs to be first. Let God put the checks and balances in place through his scriptures. But once we let our flesh call the shots, it gets harder and harder to stop. So, But if we can reverse the order of these questions and start asking what does God want, chances are we're probably going to find the kind of love that we read about in the Song of Solomon. And I think we could have our own song as couples. And if you haven't done that yet, like if you if you approached your marriage and it, that approach looked a lot more like the world's description versus the, the Bible's description, God still wants you To write a new song for your marriage. And I'm a firm believer, you may not have come at this the way that God wanted you to, but I'll tell you, you can transition it into something that God is is thrilled about. If you didn't start by letting Him in, I would encourage you to start letting Him in right now and reverse the order of questions What does God want for this relationship? What do we need in this relationship? And let that determine what you want out of this relationship. It's never too late to walk down this path. And I believe God wants to make something so beautiful out of your relationship, no matter where you find it right now. So I'm going to give you two homework assignments, and then we're going to be done. Your homework assignment for this week, read the Song of Solomon. All right, sit down with your Bible. And read the Song of Solomon. And if, it, and if you need to, and you will, go back and read it again another day. Read it. And then, start to pray. And if you're married today, start to pray with your spouse if you don't do that already. And just through this process, say, God, would you help us to see what our marriage can be? And even if you're like, we have the most amazing marriage right now, I promise you God can help you make it even better. And if you're struggling in your marriage right now, I promise you God can help you overcome those struggles. Let's reverse the order of questions. What does God want? What do we need? And let that determine what we want. And God's going to help you see this thing through. So please, read the Song of Solomon. Come next week, all read up and ready to go. It will help for next week's sermon. I promise. It will take a little bit of the blush factor out of it for us. And then pray together every day with your spouse. Hey, let me pray with us.